Welcome to the Strategy Sherpa Show, a series of organic discussions between hosts David Chavez and a variety of notable business leaders centered around their most significant failures and how they handled those challenges so listeners can learn from their most teachable moments and apply the lessons to their organizations. Now, here's your host, David Chavez. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, here we are, the Strategy Sherpa Show. I am David Chavez, and I am the Strategy Sherpa, and we are here having a conversation with a very special guest um, in our inaugural show. Um, Matt, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, David. Yeah, so, uh, it's great to have you. Um, so, so I wanted to start off by um, sharing a little story because you were my inspiration for this show. So you ended up being my first guest. And um, you had shared with me a podcast you had done from a previous business you had owned. And you said that, um, and, and why don't you just share with the audience a little bit about what you said to me about that that podcast and um, why you thought I should do the show with this theme. Well, it was actually a, a panel discussion that was at a conference and uh, it was recorded and then uh, placed uh, on the internet. And it became uh, in the industry one of the more watched uh, panels and videos out there. And I think the reason why it was uh, so well uh, liked and, and watched by people in the industry was because the panelists, in, including myself, were focused on what went wrong in our businesses in the industry. And we spoke very authentically about the challenges that we had, what didn't work, and so many people got real value from that because, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all know that learning from our mistakes is super important and we don't often get the opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. And so I think that was why they liked it so much. Yeah, I, th I think it's really important, like learning from your mistakes. I think you will learn a lot more when you do make mistakes. And it's sort of funny because we process mistakes more than we process what we do well. And, um, and when, when we're working with companies, we often, we often say to teams that 96% of what you're doing is right. So process some of the things you do right, too, because um, you could leverage those things in other parts of the business. But I think learning from mistakes, especially from other business owners, because we're not as apt to share those. I think that you go to the books and you read a lot of books. If you read business books, you read these books and it's just telling you how great the person is who wrote the book or the people that they work with or and they never really talk about some of the challenges that they have and all of us entrepreneurs out there know that the challenges are the things that really separate the real winners from the losers and the, how we get through those challenges so um jumping right in why don't you share us with us one of your greatest challenges or you know failures or whatever it is however you want to say it that challenged you the most since you've been an entrepreneur because you've been an entrepreneur for quite a while and why don't you share a little bit about your background so people know who you are and what your business is now too sure so let me start with the background uh i started out as a tech person actually as a software developer and uh I, uh, I grew up in Atlanta. I started my career in Atlanta. 
And uh, I moved out to San Francisco in the late 90s, you know, back when it was the internet boom days. So, you know, it was pretty normal for software developers to head that way. Uh, and while I was out there, you know, I had the opportunity to work for a number of different, you know, Silicon Valley VC portfolio companies and really learned a lot uh, about entrepreneurism being in that environment. And uh, it led me to, to start my first uh, company in 2002. And I can say that, you know, I've been an entrepreneur ever since then, uh, had uh, multiple companies, and uh, I've been in a, a number of different industries. I did start in software. I think so many people, when they start their first company, they, they start with something that they know and understand really well. Uh, but over time, I, um, I learned that there was great value in actually getting into an industry that you're naive about. And it allows you to often see things that other people do not see. Um, so for me, I've been in a number of different industries. And uh, today I'm in aviation. Uh, uh, Velado uh, is the company I founded uh, along with my uh, co-founder, Nicholas Cooper, uh, back in 2021. And we, uh, we offer fractional uh, ownership services in, in private jets, primarily the Honda jet. And then we also provide uh, deposit programs and charter. So sort of very typical uh, services in the private uh, jet industry. We just have brought some new innovations uh, to the space, mostly around the, the business model. But I think, uh, you know, getting back to your question, right, is uh, challenges, right, that I've uh, faced before. And, and, you know, I think when I thought about this, it, there wasn't really this one big mistake that, you know, I like to tell stories about, you know, for me, I think I uh, looked back and I saw that I had made uh, the same mistake multiple times, just in different contexts. And, you know, everybody says, you know, learn from your mistakes, so you don't repeat it again. But I think one of the things that that's fair to say is a lot of us do repeat our mistakes, uh, sometimes, unfortunately. And for me, one of the things that uh, was a mistake that I made over and over and over again was actually uh, deferring uh, to other people's ideas or thoughts uh, that I saw as uh, superior to me from an academic background. And I would often find myself in a position of responsibility where I thought a decision should be different than it was. But instead of making the decision that I wanted to make, I deferred to the person who, you know, had the better resume than me. And uh, often later, I would decide it was the wrong decision after all. And I just kept making that same thing over and over again. And it took years for me to realize why I was doing that, which uh, actually stems from a really simple thing, which is I don't have a college degree. And um, it was drilled into my head that, you have to have a college degree to be successful, if not maybe even postgraduate degree. And, you know, I would work with all of these people who had amazing academic backgrounds, not only college degrees, some of them MBAs at big schools. And here I was with no college degree. And, and it just made me feel uh, like I was the lesser person, like these people should know better than me. And that, that just led to bad decision-making ultimately. 
Yeah, so um, so that's really interesting because uh, I would say probably in my career, probably having worked uh, with um, thousands of companies over my career, I would say that it's been really interesting to, for me to to notice that probably anywhere from 40 to 50% of my clients don't have college degrees and they're running pretty large companies. And I think that one of the things that benefits them and again i think college is still very valuable very important i think that you um learn to think in college if you're in the right college um and what 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 um but but what i noticed about these people is is that they didn't have the the rules that i guess college sort of puts you in in that framework and they just so they didn't know what they didn't know so they didn't know what to be afraid of starting their company so um, it, it, it's really interesting for me to notice that. Have you noticed a similar thing? Well, I think when you become an entrepreneur, uh, what you find out one way or the other is that you're never prepared for it. And there's going to be some on-the-job learning, if you will. And uh, that can be very scary for people, especially if you come from a background of really knowing something very, very deep. I think for me... Part of the reason why I'm a successful entrepreneur is because I learned how to learn without school, if that makes sense, right? And obviously, I didn't go to school and get a college degree like is traditional. Um, but people who've worked with me know that I, I know things, right? Uh, and how did I learn them? I just didn't learn them in school. I, I learned them on my own. And that ability to be able to learn anything I want. I mean, obviously within reason, I, I, I presume there's some things that may be difficult for me to learn on my own. But whenever I saw something that I needed to learn and understand, I could just go do it. And I found that to be a very powerful attribute as an entrepreneur. That's great. I, I, I think um, the way you said it is very powerful there. So frame up a situation, um, frame up something where you, um, you you said you kept making the same mistake by going to people who you thought were better qualified to make decisions. You kept on going to them for decisions. So give us an example of one of those decisions that maybe you did and um, what were the circumstances surrounding it at the time when when um, that happened? Uh, so I, well, I know well, I'm gosh. sort of catching you <laughs> off guard. Sure, so. sure. No, I mean, there's there uh, there's so many examples of trying to think of what would be uh, valuable to to the listeners. Uh, you know, uh, one example uh, that I can think of uh, was actually uh, in uh, engineering uh, uh, discipline, where um, we were talking about how to actually solve a problem with mechanical engineering related to um, humidity control. Uh, this was when I was in the agriculture business. And what I found in that case was that the, you know, certainly the mechanical engineers who understood, um, you know, uh, HVAC and what have you absolutely had a, a better academic background than me and would were more than capable of doing the right thing engineering wise. And I was not uh, able to do the right thing engineering wise. But what I when I listened to them, I realized that they were biased in how they learned 
And what I mean by that is that most HVAC engineers have done so in the context of a building with people. Um, and in my case, we were dealing with buildings with plants and plants are different than people. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. And it's true in a very notable way. You know, when we are inside of a building, we breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. Plants do the opposite with one additional catch. They don't only, they don't also put out oxygen. They also put water into the air and it becomes a huge issue. So uh, the, the, the challenges of humidity control in a building with plants are substantially different than with people. And because they were so sort of stuck, if you will, in what they were taught that was all in the context of people, they were making the um, decisions that ultimately weren't correct. And I let those decisions be made because, you know, I'm like, these guys are engineers. They've done this. They should, they, they know better than me. Um, but in the end, it re there really is a completely new and novel way that you have to do HVAC engineering when you're doing a building for plants. Uh, interesting. So, um, like the, the, the challenges that you're dealing with a living product and then that living product is causing you problems as it's growing is what you're saying. And so you had to figure out how to m handle the magnitude of humidity that it was creating um, because doesn't that kill some plants also? Well, humidity can, be, humidity can be a big issue for any number of reasons. Um, at, but, you know, to your point about growing, you know, when people occupy buildings, they're not substantially changing, right? You generally are dealing with how many people are in the building at a given time as an engineering concern, but with the plants, they start small, they get bigger. And as they get bigger, they put even more water into the air. Um, and so it changes over time what the engineering challenge is. Interesting. Well, hey, let's come back on the other side. We're gonna take a little break and let's come back on the other side and then we can talk a little about, a bit about like the actual decision of the um, uh, what you did and how you fixed the problem going forward with this one situation, or we can talk about a couple others that maybe that you have because you said you kept on making the same mistake over again. So I think a lot of us can relate to that because we like to think that the Einstein's definition of insanity, um, doing the same thing and expecting a different result, is true. But sometimes we don't practice. Um, the, the, the definition that well. So um, coming back from break in just a few moments and thank you very much. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt Liotta, CEO of Volato. Our vision at Volato is to change the private aviation industry by bringing innovative concepts that align our interests with our owners and customers. But what's really exciting about us is our JetShare program that allows you for the first time to have unlimited usage of a plane and obtain revenue share. Doesn't matter what size share you buy with us, you can use it as much or as little as you want and participate 
in all of the, the revenue that that plane generates. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to the Strategy Sherpa Show with David Chavez. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Well, I probably should have mentioned that at the very beginning that you could call into the show if you have a question for Matt along the way and um, feel free to do that. Since we're a brand new show, not sure how many people will actually be listening right now, but but um, if you are and you have a question you want to ask Matt, just feel free to jump in. Um, Matt, let's go back to the um, air problem in your indoor farm. And let's talk a little bit about like, so you said that engineers, you have mechanical engineers trying to figure out some of this problem. And so the circumstances, how I'm hearing it is, is that you had a humidity problem. And as the plants grew, the humidity problem gets worse and worse as they get larger and larger. So it's not a static problem. It's a a problem that you're dealing with as the plants get larger and larger. And so what what happened? What were the circumstances then? What did, what did you end up doing to resolve the issue? Well, ultimately, I didn't resolve it. I mean, the you know we're talking about mistakes here, and 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 in in this particular context, my mistake was letting uh, the engineer make the decisions. Um, and again, they had the context of of uh, you know buildings for people as opposed to buildings for plants, and so. It, it wasn't effective. Um, and, you know, I lucked out into a solution in the sense that we ended up meeting additional um, engineers who did have experience with uh, plants and buildings, and they were able to speak from a, a position of authority as engineers themselves to our other engineers. And we all sort of got to the right place, but it wasn't because of me. It was because of circumstance. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's sort of, I don't know why that particular uh, situation uh, became, you know, a light bulb going off, if you will. But it's like, look, you know, I knew this was uh, the wrong way to look at this. Uh, I didn't have the academic background to to support that. But then when we found other people who did have the academic background to support it, and they, they you know, were in the same sort of page as me, things we're able to overcome. What am I doing wrong uh, that I can't communicate my insight uh, to people who have this academic background that I don't have in a way that they actually see it as valuable? And that was that was the question that, that came up. And as I sort of explored that question, it turned out I had to do a lot of self-reflection as an individual and new issues came up, uh, if you will. 
Yeah. So you, um, and you and I have known each other for a little bit now, and I know that you went on a, a bit of a journey, um, in this and, um, I just found out that you that that led to your pilot's license, which led to the company you're leading right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I think it's pretty interesting because you're you're saying from all these challenges you had, you went on this journey. And why don't you share with everyone what the journey was and what you did and where you're at now? Well, you know, I think I started out um, hearing from a lot of people that I trusted and believed in that there were things that I should reflect on and maybe make a change uh, to be to be better. And it was never that I uh, didn't believe them. It was just uh, oftentimes I could look at the results that I've achieved and said, well, hey, if I achieve good results, what does it matter how I did it? And, um, you know, I, I eventually decided that that was the wrong approach, that how you make the results actually matters a lot. Uh, it's not just about the results. And so I went through this process of sort of thinking about what people have told me, what I had thought about myself that I would like to see, you know, different. And one of those things was that um, sometimes I would get frustrated when I was in conversations with people and I would lose the ability to communicate with them effectively and logically and it was because the frustration uh, emotion was taking over. And I really said to myself, you know, I've got to find a way to not let my emotions control me. And maybe the correct way for anybody else might have been, I don't know, therapy or some other methodology. But for some reason, I came up with the idea that I was going to go become a pilot. And the reason why I thought of that idea was I was like, look, pilots are trained to not get emotional as things happen, especially bad things or emergencies. They've got to be cool and work the problem, solve it, and not get emotional. Maybe if I go become a pilot, that training will help me. And so that's what I did. I went and found a flight school and, um, you know, I went and um, ultimately I got my pilot's license um, and later my instrument rating. And, uh, you know, in the end, uh, maybe it's not the best methodology, but it worked for me. And and uh, I think that uh, we should all be appreciative of the training that, that pilots get that really enable them uh, to work a problem without emotion uh, so that they can logically do the best outcome that they can. So um, it, as pilots are being trained and they're being trained to work problems without emotion, you know, you know, because what you're trying to do is be rational in your thinking and keep a clear head so you can focus on what to do next. Is Am I thinking about that correctly? Well, there's certainly that aspect of it. I think one of the most important things is you're trained on emergencies so that you know what to do when they happen. And then yeah. you... Uh, actually practice these emergencies and and see if you follow the the procedures and that process which sounds just like practicing is is really a, a great tool to build confidence for yourself that if you can adopt these techniques um, that even an unknown emergency that you've never trained for 
you just follow the same sort of procedures um, and work the problem. And, you know, I don't know. Um, maybe it's the fact that you're in the air and potentially you're you're in the middle of a, of a spin going straight towards the ground um, and you're working the problem and, you know, that and you fix it. And the confidence building that that comes with that is is uh, it's really hard to share. All I can say is uh, I think I am uh, the most confident uh that I've ever been uh, since learning to overcome some challenges inside of an airplane. That's, uh, that's really great. So what are some of the things they teach you? Like, um, I, I mean, you put this in the frame. I mean, and it's a great way to frame it up. I'm in a life and death situation in a downward spiral. What do they teach you to, uh, what's the first thing that you have to do? Well, one of the things that, that you learn is sometimes your gut move, what you think is the right answer is the wrong answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, so it's, it's really important from a training perspective uh, to actually be aware of those issues ahead of time. Like, Hey, if you're in this situation, you're going to want to do this. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, the correct move <laughs> is this. Um, and, you know, what the aviation industry has done is they've, they've really thought through a lot of these scenarios, emergencies, and they've pre-figured out what is the right procedure. And, you know, in fact, you know, we can be flying along, we can have an issue, uh, and we can go right to a checklist and look it up and say, what's the procedure for dealing with this issue? And then we can literally follow it step by step. Um, what to do. And, you know, it, it sounds crazy that it's that simple, but believe it or not, almost everything you have more time than you think to work on it. You don't have to say, oh, this emergency happened. I need to as quickly as possible rush to do something. You've got more time than you realize. You have time to think, to ask yourself, what is the problem? You know, what can I do to solve it? If I go to do it, what am I going to be looking for as I put inputs into the problem to verify that things are going the right direction? Yeah. And this so, technique is actually um, taught. Yeah, I, I heard a lot in here. So you're a very driven person. I think you and I share that a little bit in our personalities, the way we're driven. And so in our younger days, we were driven so much that maybe we rub people the wrong way. Right. And and so then what you learned when you were became a pilot and you started to do and what I heard you say is to stop and think for a second when something's not going your way. A absolutely. And, and uh, I, I won't remember the article, but the, it was shared with me at one point in, in the days of, of pilot training. And it was one of these setups where it was a young journalist uh, for aviation, um, you know, magazine who was interviewing, you know, a very senior airline pilot who's been around, done everything. And, you know, he sort of paints this scenario to the pilot, like, you've got this failure, you got this failure, all these different things. What do you do first? And the, the, 
the captain's answer uh, is I wind the clock. And so that makes no sense if you don't have the context that older airplanes, um, they actually, there's a number of procedures that use time-based uh, approaches and there's literally a clock and some of the older planes, you could wind them up, right? And so this, uh, you know, pilot's answer was the first thing I do is wind the clock. He doesn't need the clock wound. What is he doing? That taking the step to reach up, wind the clock, gives him that pause, that moment to think through what's going to happen and devise a plan. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought that was a really uh, great thing to think about in the, the young person who was interviewing and couldn't understand why would you waste your time doing something that's not going to help you with the emergency? But he wasn't wasting his time. He was being very thoughtful about his time and giving himself what he needed in order to solve the problem uh, in a smart way. So I think that sometimes we get in conversations and we're eager to reply to the other person and we don't necessarily give ourselves the chance to be thoughtful about how we're going to to respond to what we heard. And so sometimes just that extra little bit of time thinking about what was just given to you as far as information and devising what you want to do next can make you a, a more effective communicator. And it sounds crazy to think we go from dealing with emergencies on planes to just how you talk and interact with people. But effective communication, as it turns out, is what it's all about. Yeah, that's great. I'm, we're going to jump off and take a break here, and we're going to come back and pick up right where we left off. So give us a second. We're going to go to a break, and then Matt and I will be right back because I think we're in the heat of the conversation right now. Get you in a minute. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Anyone can learn the keys to success from podcasts, TED Talks, and other forms of media. But what you really don't learn is the failures that lead up to that point. Join David Chavez on the Strategy Sherpa Show as he and notable business leaders have that discussion and teach you how valuable it is to learn from your failures. The Strategy Sherpa Show, Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to the Strategy Sherpa Show with David Chavez. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 866 472 5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. 
Wow, this is really great. Um, Matt, wow, what a, what a, what a last segment. Um, I think that you really crossed over uh, um, um, that, that bridge to real effectiveness of how uh, some of the things that have happened to you. So when you're in a, a pilot and you're winding the clock, if you will, um, what you're doing is you're actually taking your brain from your subconscious level to your conscious level by turning the clock. And that's sort of what they're teaching you to do is don't just react in a pattern that you want to react in. Get consciousness. So slow yourself down a second so you can get some consciousness. And it's sort of like when we're working with our teams, we have to slow down and sometimes and listen to what they're saying. Because if you're driven like we are, sometimes we're not the best listeners, if you will, right? Because we want to get to the objective as quickly as possible. So what they're teaching you is to spin that dial and to on the older planes and just um, get a little consciousness. And you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Talk a little bit about well, checklists too. I think um, those that's really important. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, no, no problem. I, I mean, I think the the key lesson um, is that there's there's more time than you think, and there's there's time to to figure out a plan. Um, and maybe in this case, it's not you figuring out a plan. Maybe it's just grabbing the checklist and and taking a look at at who's already figured this out ahead of time. What the right moves are. Um, and so, uh, I think that, uh, you can uh, adapt that, uh, to business and life. And like I said, in a conversation, if somebody is talking to you, you know, you don't have to be ready, like waiting for them to finish talking. So you can just jump in and reply, you know, so many times you feel like you're like, when is this person going to stop talking? I already decided what they're saying to me. I just need to reply. And, you know, you gotta not do that. You gotta, you know, really listen to what they're saying and try and understand where they're coming from. So your reply is going to result in effectiveness, right? And, you know, while in an airplane, you know, we have checklists and, and it's all very logical, uh, we don't have those with people. Um, although, you know, as, as I've come to learn through, through DISC, uh, you can actually get a lot of, uh, you know, sort of ahead of time insights uh, into how to be more effective and to a certain extent, give yourself a little bit of a checklist into how you can handle the information you're hearing in a more effective way. Yeah. So what you're talking about is disc behavioral profiles and you're talking about the different types of personalities people have and, the, and, and in the disc, there's four general categories, but then there's the mix of what you are yourself. And so, so like um, you get that consciousness and then like, I know pilots, they have a lot of checklists. Like why do pilots have so many checklists? Well, at the end of the day, we are humans and we make mistakes, right? That's what we've been talking about from the very beginning. And, you know, mistakes can be very costly uh, as a pilot. And so even if you've done it forever, um, you can make mistakes. And the checklists are ways of reminding yourself, uh, oh, I actually did that. Or, ooh, I didn't do that. Let me go check that thing. Um, and so... It, it becomes part of the process to follow the checklist every time. It's really not much of a burden. And it's so amazingly helpful because you're just likely to forget something 
just being who you are, even if you've been doing it for years, et cetera. It's just, it's just too easy to forget something. And maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a big thing, but the checklist really do help you avoid that. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, like, like the way you're saying that, and I know that pilots, they have a lot of checklists they have to follow. I think it, before you even do anything, the pilot has a checklist, the maintenance people have a checklist, everyone has checklists they're following before the plane can even think about being um, taken off. And and, and um, it was funny because um, one of my uh, clients he owns, he lives on an airport community down in Georgia. And um one of the, he took me up in his vintage uh, Chinese uh, um, World War II plane, and um, another guy, another friend of his that lives in his neighborhood, had a Russian vintage World War II plane, and so they were going to fly tandem together. And we spent forty-five minutes before we went in that plane going over checklists with each other, what to do. I had never flown in a small plane like that before. And especially when they handed me the parachute, I was asking myself what the hell I'm doing here. Um, but, but, um, <laughs> but, 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 but I was just fascinated by here's two private guys on this private small airfield and they're following all these checklists and they're going through all these checklists. Um, and, I, and I find it fascinating. And, you know, this guy's business, he has a really good business and um, he'll, he'll probably be on a show of mine at some time in the future. But his checklists for his business are very, very involved. And what it does is it solves a lot of his, his um, team's problems. So I think that the checklist in the pilot scent always goes, also goes over to the business side to really solve reoccurring issues that seem to pop up with the specific part of the business. And it makes it easier for the employees to remember what to do, because as you said, and I think you said it really clearly, we all make mistakes. And we, so we, so, we, we do. Uh, and, you know, from, from my standpoint, one of the things that I do with all, um, new employees, we, we have an orientation, uh, that I have an opportunity to speak to them. And what I tell them is, is sort of my three pillars in this business, which are, uh, I call training, empowerment, and respect. And our goal is to provide the training. Uh, and this is not just for pilots. This is for everybody on how to handle situations, including problems, right? And the reason why we do this is because we want to empower our people to make timely decisions without having to go to their supervisor and say, hey, this is what's happening. What do I do? Uh, so the empowerment is really key is it, with your training, you know what to do. So we want you to do it. And then respect is the most important part because if you say that you're about empowerment, and then somebody makes a mistake because they didn't check with their supervisor, you've got to respect them for making the decision that you asked them to make, even if it's the wrong decision. You've got to respect that and see it as an opportunity to improve the training and make it come yeah. full circle. Yeah, uh, really important things you're saying right now because um, one of the things we teach uh, uh, most of our clients is, is that if we don't have a process, don't have a checklist, I just go back to the core values. And so you have those three pillars that you're constantly going back to and asking yourself, like, um, are, is my decision aligned with those? And if it is, it may be wrong, but it's still not 
it, it's it's not as bad as it could be if if you follow the core values. So I, I think that um, we're talking about quite a few things and I'm trying to relate it back to business a little bit. But um, so you went through the, this journey and um, what did you learn in your journey that helped you be uh, is helping you be a better leader in your airline than maybe you were on the indoor farm? And and I'm not talking about this that you are an out of control leader with farm, but I'm just saying like what 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 transitioned for you to make you a better leader? Well, I think the most important thing was that I used to feel like people who worked with me, you know, either could work with me well uh, and liked working with me, or they shouldn't work with me. You know, sort of very binary, right? And um, with Volato, uh, we knew uh, from the beginning that this was going to be a more intensive from a people standpoint than other businesses that I've done, and that we really couldn't take that sort of approach. We needed the ability to be effective with everybody. And what that led to was an idea that, you know, diversity is a good thing. And and I'm not talking about diversity like some of the stuff that's in the news or what have you that's racial oriented and stuff like that. I mean, sometimes even, um, you know, you and I, uh, you know, have diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences and diversity of, of thought, of perspective, of experience is incredibly valuable if you can find a way in your organization to organize around the strengths and minimize the weaknesses and the more diverse you get, the uh, if you have that structure that allows you to organize, the stronger you can be. And so that's really what we set out to do here at this business was to bring in the maximum amount of diversity so that we could have the strongest team possible. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that you said that because um, really what you're trying to do is gain diversity of thought and the way that you're approaching things. And if you get the right people on your team, that that comes to life for your company. I mean, all of us that start and grow companies, we wish it would always be a little bit better, but it's but it is good if you have people that challenge the status quo and are willing to contribute ideas to the overarching um, outcomes of the company and what they're doing. So you learned quite a bit. Um, you went on a little bit of a personal journey and um, you ended up uh, overcoming some of these uh, fears that you had about people who have degrees have a better way make better decisions. And so, um, and that's how we started this whole conversation out. And so we're going to jump to a break here and um, we're going to uh, take a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back and we'll wrap up our conversation, maybe take away, do a few takeaways for people that are listening. And then we'll um, talk a little bit more about the lotto, what that means and some other things. So um, we're going to take a real quick break and then we'll be right back with Matt and uh, with Velado, Matviota with Velado, and um, we'll see you in just a moment. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. 
Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Hi, I'm Matt Liotta, CEO of Volato. Our vision at Volato is to change the private aviation industry by bringing innovative concepts that align our interests with our owners and customers. But what's really exciting about us is our jet share program that allows you for the first time to have unlimited usage of a plane and obtain revenue share. Doesn't matter what size share you buy with us, you can use it as much or as little as you want and participate in all of the, the revenue that that plane generates. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to the Strategy Sherpa Show with David Chavez. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. So if you have any question you want to call in, feel free to do so. Uh, Matt, just uh, wanted to wrap up some of the things we talked about. So it's really interesting. So we went from making the same doing the same mistake over and over again. And I I so appreciate that you spoke about that because I think most of us, when we do something again and we make the same mistake again, we beat the heck out of ourselves, right? And so there's a lot of uh, self-abuse there when we're like very frustrated with ourselves that we did something over. So it's nice to hear that you're not the only one. And I will also own that I make some of the same mistakes over again. And I just sit and laugh at myself now. Um, I used to get mad at myself, but now I just laugh at myself because I'm like, how the heck did I end up here again? Um, but then I just make the change that I need to make. And then, um, then, um, then you talked a little bit about becoming a pilot, um, getting that consciousness when something's going wrong. And then you talked a little bit about checklists. Anything else? Do you want to wrap those up? Like, um, what has that done for you um, in this current position that you're in? Well, I, I think after a lot of self-reflection, the reason why I was making the same mistake every time was, frankly, because I was, you know, afraid of being judged, right, uh, for... Yeah my my lack of a college degree and uh i just had to really get to a really simple thing is that people are going to judge me and i just need to own who i am and that i can bring value to the table and i don't need a college degree to bring a value to the table at the end of the day yeah I, I, I definitely see that. And, and having the opportunity to work with you a little bit, um, I just find that your openness with that is very unique 
and very refreshing. And I know you and I have a little bit of gray um, and we're still trying to become better leaders because we're always trying to advance and improve ourselves in that sense. So um, I appreciate your uh, the way you approached it and your sharing today. I wanted to take a little bit of time and talk a little bit about Volato. I actually wore my Volato shirt also um, since you were nice enough to send it to me. Um, I wanted to make sure we're, and then we have uh, your uh, logo over here, which is a dragonfly with um, propel, um, jet uh, propellers. Um, so, so, uh, uh, or how do you say that? I'm probably saying it. Wrong. Oh, those are the uh, the blades of a turbine. Blades uh, sure. from from the jet engine. I knew I said it wrong when uh, when I saw your face <laughs> right there. So, so uh, my naiveness. Um, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about Velado, what you're doing, and um, how things are going for you so far? Which we'll sure. wrap up to so, show them. Yeah, so Velado is a provider of uh, fractional ownership. We primarily do that in the Honda Jet today. Uh, so what does that mean, fractional ownership? It means that you own a portion of the plane instead of the entire plane. And one of the innovations that we've brought to the marketplace is that most uh, fractional ownership programs are like timeshares, where you buy a certain size share of the plane based upon the amount of time you're going to use it. In our program, we don't limit you. You literally can use as much or as little uh, flight time as you want with our service. Um, and your share size is not about how much flight time you might use. Uh, it's about your participation um, as uh, a owner in, in our fleet, and we provide revenue share uh, to you as an owner. So what does that mean? Uh, in a nutshell, it's that, you know, first of all, we've We've gotten rid of the limitations in, in terms of how much you fly. So you fly when and how you want to, and you don't worry about, you know, having a predetermined amount of time. And then when your plane that you own a portion of flies, we provide a revenue share based upon uh, it, the earnings that it does. So the more your plane flies, the more revenue um, you get. So it, it's quite a bit different than the traditional fractional program. But for me, as a former uh, oh, I just, I, I wanted to jump in here because I was at sure. dinner with you and with one of your clients and um, your client opened up his app and he had just found out he had made his first revenue off of his, our actual profit off of his plane of, um, from leasing it out. And he is really, really excited. So I, I, I just wanted to share with everyone that you that, that the owner was sitting there and he couldn't believe that he had a plane now that actually was making him money. Yeah, we, we've actually seen a pretty deep connection between our owners and their plane uh, that is not typical in the industry. And I think it's because we have really nailed alignment of interest with our customers. They want what we want. They want to fly when they want to fly. They want their plane to fly as much as possible. We want people to fly as much as possible because that's how we make money. Uh, so this alignment of interest has been great. And the owners, they feel connected to their plane and to the company. They want to see us succeed. They want to see their plane do well. Um, so it's really refreshing as a business to have that alignment of interest because now what we want to do to make money, they want us to do too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And um, you were going to, uh, um, so so you guys are aligned. Uh, talk a little bit about your logo because, um, so so I know Velado means. 
Yeah, so volato is an Italian word, um, and it's and it means uh, to have flown, so past tense. And we we thought about oftentimes the way people think about a good travel experience is usually uh, nostalgic, right? You know, you don't talk about a good travel experience in the middle of it. You remember the good ones, right? And so that past tense of of you know uh, flown, we we thought really fit well um, with our plan to want people to remember fondly their experiences with us. And um, we're, we're, we're very committed to doing that. We actually do an MPS survey with our owners after every flight. And uh, we actually have a MPS score right now of 88. So they, they seem to think we're doing a good job. And um, sometimes they give us negative feedback and we use that to improve. Um, sometimes they give us positive feedback and we love all feedback because at the end of the day, we do this for them. At the yeah. And, ju and just, just so people know, MPS is a lot different than a percentage. So an 88 on an MPS is a huge number. I mean, that if you can get to that number, you would be very happy. For a lot of companies, uh, uh, when companies actually start using MPS, we see them probably in the 50s and the 60s sometimes right at first. So, um, and, and it's not on a percentage basis. So talk a little bit about your logo and what why you use the Dragonfly. Well, so, um, you know, our first uh, uh, jet was the Honda Jet, which is uh, a Japanese uh, company, Honda, of course, uh, making it, although it's actually the most American jet around that actually uh, build it in the United States and have more parts and contents that is U.S. sourced than any other jet. Uh, fun fact there. So Japanese jet built in the U.S. Um, but uh, we thought about the dragonfly as, you know, this small and powerful insect. Um, and we felt like we're with the Honda jet. It's a small and powerful, uh, very nimble plane. And we, we actually looked into Japanese culture and, and the dragonfly, which is known as Tambo in Japanese, is actually an important part of their culture. The, the samurais called it a, a victory insect. And so, you know, we got a lot of alignment internally about uh, how there is this small and mighty uh, flyer. We felt that way about us. We liked the idea of its connection to Japanese culture. Uh, so we thought it was uh, pretty fun. And I'll also throw out there that uh, dragonflies eat mosquitoes, and I don't know anybody who likes mosquitoes, so uh, uh, dragonflies are right. pretty darn cool. <laughs> well, well, hey, Matt, I appreciate you sharing that. We're getting ready to wrap up here. We're at the end of the show, and it's a hard stop. So I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. And um, I'm sure the audience will get some great reaction out of it. So thank you very much. And we'll look forward to uh, talking to you soon. And thank you for all of you who have listened. Hopefully you got some valuable information. And please send us your comments. We're open to those. Uh, www.assuredstrategy.com. If you're looking for the Strategy Sherpa or the Strategy Sherpa Show, feel free to jump on our website or you can get go ahead and get on Voice America and they they have our all of our content there also. So thank you very much, Matt, for coming today. Thanks for having me, David. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Strategy Sherpa Show with David Chavez. We hope we've given you some insight into the journey of success and how the road to success is laid with bricks of failure. 
Tune in next week for another inspiring episode.